going to be 25 in June. That's a quarter of a century. Makes a girl think. The quarter-life crisis is the first adult crossroads we come to in our lives. But are we really even adults when we get to it? Other life crises may be socially motivated, but the quarter-life crisis is chemical. Around the age of 25 is the moment where your brain finishes its development. The frontal lobes, the areas of the brain responsible for planning, working memory, and impulse control, are some of the last to reach maturity. You literally feel a sense of things coming to an end because something, adolescence, is ending, prompting you to take stock of your life and yourself and wonder if you're becoming the person you want to be. I have work, and then I have a dinner thing, and then I am busy trying to become who I am. In recent years, we've seen a lot of attention given to quarter-life crisis stories, as financial precariousness and bleak world news have made hitting adulthood for millennials and Gen Z uniquely challenging. Something characters reckon with in shows like Girls, Mood, We Are Lady Parts, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, High Fidelity, Chewing Gum, and movies like Francis Ha, Shiva Baby, and Tiny Furniture. Traditional narratives have conditioned us to see the teenage years as where our identity forms. And by the time our teens end, we're entrusted with the privileges of adulthood. So this creates a sense that we should have figured out who we are by then. But that clashes with the fact that we continue developing emotionally until our mid-twenties, when adolescence actually comes to an end. What are your plans? I don't know. What's your future look like? I don't know. Quarter-life stories on screen make us see that recognizing this crisis can be an impetus to go out and get what you want from your life at exactly the right time. Here's our take on what we can learn from stories about the quarter-life crisis on screen, and how, with some reframing, it doesn't have to be a crisis at all. Honey, all you have to be by the age of 23 is yourself. This is The Take on your favorite movie shows and pop culture. Before we go on, don't forget to subscribe. And let us know what you're watching. Your support means so much to us. I would say that I'm just drifting here in the pool. Why? Well, it's very comfortable just to drift here. The quarter-life crisis is defined by a feeling of things coming to a halt. And there's a developmental reason for this. While we may be socially conditioned to believe that we've grown up by the time we're 18, the brain, and specifically the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making, impulse control, and emotional regulation, doesn't finish developing until we hit 25. Despite this chemical fact, when we think of adolescents, we think of teenagers, not 20-somethings. So at the root of the quarter-life crisis is a social misunderstanding that expects people to be fully adulting before most are really ready for it. My goal is that... Like a, like a career or something. When society expects you to move forward before you're ready, you're likely to freeze. And this stasis is epitomized by perhaps the archetypal baby boomer quarter-life crisis film, Mike Nichols' The Graduate. In the 1967 film, recent college graduate Ben Braddock is gifted but directionless and depressed. My whole life is such a waste. It's just nothing. And this depression stems from the clash between where he is in his life and what is expected of him. After graduating from college, he is immediately thrust into a situation where it's clear that people expect him to have some kind of life plan and aren't willing to allow him time to figure out what that plan might be. What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. Oh, I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. The diametrically opposed relationships he becomes involved in with the older Mrs. Robinson, a family friend who he's known all of his life, and her young 
young, inexperienced daughter Elaine exemplify his fragmented mental state. With Mrs. Robinson, it's as if he gives himself license to remain in this more youthful state instead of growing up, allowing her to take control over their affair and acting in a very meek, submissive, infantilized way. I'll get undressed now, is that all right? Sure. Shall I? I mean, shall I just stand here? I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. At the same time, the idea of the affair perhaps makes him feel more adult. Meanwhile, as he begins to bond with Elaine, he's able to be more open and honest about his frustrations with what people are expecting of him. And because they're from the same generation, he finds a more direct, unfiltered kinship and empathy with her. It's like I've been playing some kind of game, but the rules don't make any sense to me. They're being made up by all the wrong people. Through both affairs, he is trying to find some kind of meaning, and that's what he's chasing in the film's ending. His impulsive, rebellious sabotage of Elaine's wedding, followed by their uncertain, anticlimactic bus ride into the unknown. Hello, darkness, my old friend. While he and Elaine both expect this transcendent, happy ending, running away together doesn't answer anything. Things are still completely unresolved, and this mirrored a question plaguing young Americans at the time. Namely, was the life that the previous generation fought hard for really one that they wanted? Jacob R. Brackman wrote at the time that Benjamin's adulthood looks bleak largely because his environment offers no decent ideal of adulthood, not even a clue to what that ideal might be. Another quarter-life crisis standby film, Reality Bites, directed by Ben Stiller in 1994, reckoned with this same disconnect and disillusionment for the Gen X generation. Why don't you get a job at Burgerama? They'll hire you. I was valedictorian of my university. Well, you don't have to put that down on your application. Winona Ryder's Lelena is torn between the savvy influence of Stiller's yuppie Michael and Ethan Hawke's real, often moody and existentially focused Troy. Hello, you've reached the winter of our discontent. The joys Lelena and her friends find at this age are simple, inexpensive, and pure. A couple of smokes, a cup of coffee, and a little bit of conversation. You and me and five bucks. And the way that Lelena searches to hold on to something authentic, even as the pressures of adult reality enter, remind us that this struggle has existed throughout the generations. It's really about people who are trying to find their own identity without having any real role models or heroes or anything. Lena Dunham's 2010 breakthrough feature, Tiny Furniture, brings the same quarter-life crisis to the millennial generation. It begins with a similar conceit to The Graduate, with college grad Aura being forced to move back home to her parents' loft after a breakup to save money before she moved to the city to start her real life. I just got off a plane from Ohio. I'm in a postgraduate delirium. Like in The Graduate and Reality Bites, the parental home, rather than being a comforting space, is instead one marked by liminality and uncertainty. But while The Graduate is reckoning with middle-class comfort and boredom, Tiny Furniture was showing how precarious the millennial graduate experience specifically has been, especially for those graduating around the 2008 recession. Dunham said, I think that's a really crazy reality that you face when you get out of college. Like, hey, I've been thinking professionally for four years and I'm perfectly perfectly up for any job, and then you quickly realize that it's not the case. The film was about the disappointments of life as you imagined it versus life as it actually is. I am asking to be heard. You don't hear anything I say. The stasis of the quarter-life crisis can manifest as a sense of always moving but never moving forwards. In Noah Baumbach's 2012 film Francis Ha, a lost job, breakup, and changing friendship coincide with a period of rootlessness as Francis tries to establish who she is now without the things that used to define her. It's kind of hard to explain. Because what you do is complicated? Uh, because I don't really do it. And there's the problem of comparison, too. Sophie, Francis's best friend who she used to live with, seemingly is moving forward with her life. 
first by moving to a neighborhood Frances can't afford, then by moving to Japan with her boyfriend, who soon becomes her fiancé. Sophie models what's expected, which deepens Frances's own malaise. But it turns out Sophie also doesn't have it figured out, and is secretly in the same quarter-life crisis mode as Frances. Her move to Japan was born out of the same unsettled rootlessness. Your blog looks so happy. I don't think my mom would read it if it were about depression. There's a hopefulness in the film's climax, one that comes from accepting that it's okay not to have it all figured out in your 20s, and embracing the messiness and the awkwardness of what moving forward really feels like. I like things that look like mistakes. For some, the quarter-life crisis can spring them into action, but what if you don't want to grow up and decide to rebel against the adulting pressure? In both 2004's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and 2013's About Time, two characters going through their quarter-life crises, Clementine and Tim, attempt to solve this issue by manipulating time, one through memory loss technology and the other through time travel. It's going to be a complicated year. It's going to be a complicated life. While Clementine's love interest in Eternal Sunshine, Joel Barish, seems more on the mid-life crisis end of the spectrum, Clementine feels a lot younger. Kate Winslet was only 27 when she made the movie, and the character is defined by a kind of youthful, nervous energy. I'm always anxious thinking I'm not living my life to the fullest, you know? Taking advantage of every possibility and making sure I'm not wasting one second of the little time I have. At the same time, she's clearly terrified of the commitment that's associated with adulthood, despite falling very quickly for Joel. So the memory-erasing technology becomes a way for her to indulge these reckless impulses without consequence. It's impulsive. She decided to erase you almost as a lark. For Tim, in about time, his youth is idyllic and seemingly problem-free. He has a wonderful family, a beautiful house, and no cares in the world. But his 21st birthday signals the beginning of a new era and the need to leave behind this pleasant tranquility. It was a pretty good childhood, full of repeated rhythms and patterns. By the time I was 21, we were still having tea on the beach every single day. When he learns of his ability to travel through time, besides using it to try and improve his love life, he also tries to prevent or change the messy, more difficult parts of adulthood that come up. His family friends failed play, and then his younger sister's car crash. Effectively, it becomes an avoidance technique. The real troubles in your life will always be things that never crossed your worried mind. For both Clementine and Tim, holding on to youth feels like the simpler option. But even when they have this special power to manipulate time, it keeps moving forward anyway, so they create more problems for themselves in the long run. What's key to moving past the quarter-life crisis is accepting the lack of control you have over your life and not avoiding the serious things. Because when you do that, you're effectively avoiding everything. So it begins. Lots and lots of types of days. Sometimes, quarter-life impulsiveness and denial can be reckless or damaging. In B-Movie, which playfully imitates the structure of The Graduate with Barry B. Benson instead of Benjamin Braddock, Barry's mission to completely revolutionize B-society, motivated by his fear of becoming a cog in a machine, quickly backfires both for the bees and for the wider environment. This was my new desk. This was my new job. I wanted to do it really well. And now... Now I can't. Chris McCandless in Into the Wild is also looking for a sense of purpose and direction after graduating from high school and realizing that his parents had lied to him for his whole life. But he seeks this purpose by turning to a more nomadic lifestyle, cutting up his credit cards, donating his possessions, isolating himself from his family, and journeying literally into the unknown. The tragedy is that by the time he realizes his mistake, it's too late. 
and his life is over. It's a sobering example of how the impulsiveness of a quarter-life crisis can be dangerous, and how reaching out to those we love is what's really needed to help us through it. At the same time, the instinct to not push growing up before you're ready can be a healthy reaction to unrealistic cultural expectations around age and development. In Shiva Baby, college senior Danielle is peppered from all sides with life questions from friends and relatives. Any boyfriends? Um, no, not yet, or right now. She's so excited about graduating. And we can see how this expectation that she should be settled in knowing exactly what she's doing is unrealistic and terrifying for her, and probably for most college students. If we're truly not ready for adulting, maybe the best thing to do is to follow our own natural timing, rather than push forward into something that's not right for us. I'm an adult, and I'm responsible. Let's go get some candy. This question is the central preoccupation of Licorice Pizza's Alana, who flinches whenever her age or life status is brought up in the movie, and whose flirtatious, playful relationship with 15-year-old Gary almost allows her to indulge in the fantasy of being a teenager again, even though she knows logically there's something a little funny about it. I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15-year-old friends all the time. But while Alana does reckon with this, the answer isn't as simple as just letting go and accepting that her age should dictate where she is in life. As Caitlin Quinlan writes, does she want to settle back into a youth she's left behind or find a mature way to move forward? In looking for the latter, she quickly realizes how many of the other adults around her are play-acting at something too. I'm Essie. I work for mom and dad. I'm perfect. I'm a real estate agent. Alana doesn't have her life together. In Broad City, Abby and Alana are similarly floating through their 20s without a lot of external achievements, and the friends support each other as they navigate growing older while maintaining their authentic personalities. Before I know it, I'm gonna wake up and be 23. My life's gonna be behind me. The lesson Abby and Alana's friendship teaches us is that it's important to grow at your own pace, rather than according to a socially predetermined timeline. When Abby does decide to leave New York and move on with her life, it's when she feels ready to. I feel really stuck in my life right now. This is just like you with grad school. I mean, you're settling into a track and figuring out your career. Often this feeling of holding on to youth is characterized from the outside as kind of arrested development, but really it's about knowing yourself and what works for you, and accepting there's no one-size-fits-all model to growing up. One job forever? That's an insane choice to have to make. So when is taking a leap or making a big change a productive response to quarter-life anxiety? In Garden State, Zach Braff is at a similar crossroads. And again, the movie self-consciously references The Graduate, with both films beginning with our protagonist on an airplane. Though in Garden State, the scene is a dream sequence, before we cut to Andrew in a completely sterile, emotionless room, getting the news his mom has passed away. Your mother died last night, Andrew. Like McCandless, he has isolated himself from his family. There's also a sense that the medication he's on has isolated him internally from any connection to who he really is. It's similar to how Clementine from Eternal Sunshine looks to medical means to fix a problem that's not truly medical but spiritual or existential. I'm not gonna take those drugs anymore because they let me completely numb. I have felt so numb to everything I've experienced in my life. For Andrew, a new relationship does begin to pull him out of this stasis. Where he is flat and emotionless, manic pixie dream girl Sam offers the forward-thinking momentum and exciting energy that Andrew needs. You gotta hear this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. A relationship is also the step forward in Reality Bites, as Troy and Lelena move past their own stuckness to admit that they want to be together. They end the film in a new house surrounded by boxes with the promise of a future together. The gut punch of his father dying has made Troy see his love for Lelena as something worth going all in on, while Lelena, caught between the poles of artistic integrity and compromise for commercial success, opts for what's true to herself. 
In Shiva Baby, Danielle's reconnecting with her longtime friend and love interest Maya is also the key to feeling okay about where she is and isn't in her life. In Good Will Hunting 2, Will Hunting's end progress is signified by him driving across the country to be vulnerable and give his relationship a chance. It's progress achieved by opening up to a mentor who challenges him and makes him think about the potential his life has, which enables him to move past his feelings of stuckness. I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. See a cocky, scared, shitless kid. And while his ending probably isn't the ending his professors had in mind, he's not necessarily on the path to becoming a Nobel laureate or renowned astrophysicist as Professor Lambeau predicted. It's a choice that he has made because he has realized what direction he needs to travel in. And you don't regret meeting your wife. Why? Because the pain I feel now? Well, I got regrets, Will, but I don't regret a single day I spent with her. All these stories underline that dealing productively with the quarter-life crisis doesn't have to mean going out and instantly getting an amazing job. Rather, it's about realizing what needs changing in your mindset and focusing on what will build a solid foundation for an emotionally mature, authentic adult life. In that sense, Robin Williams' role in Goodwill Hunting is similar to the one John Keating fulfills for high school students in Dead Poet Society. He sees the potential for stuckness in his students that comes from cleaving to a predetermined script and tries to shake them out of it before they get there. His mantra, seize the day, is a tool for combating the stasis that will come with the quarter-life crisis by encouraging a life lived in the present, driven by what truly matters to you. Life exists and identity. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The key then to breaking out of the stuckness of the quarter-life crisis isn't movement, but finding direction. In Wild, based on Cheryl Strayed's memoir of embarking on a 1,100-mile solo hike with no prior hiking experience as a 26-year-old, Cheryl's journey too comes out of a moment of personal crisis. You're using heroin, and you're having sex with anyone who asks. I'm not sure that these things are making you happy. But the journey gives her a structure that she feels was taken away from her. It is an act of sense-making and reorientation, which often comes of the quarter-life crisis. Taking time to honestly process can lead to an informed decision about which new path you want to move toward. I wouldn't do a single thing differently. What if all those things I did were the things that got me here? The quarter-life crisis comes for us all, but it's up to us to decide whether it actually is a crisis or not. Sometimes it feels like life or imaginary timelines are making decisions for us, when we should settle down, change careers, or finish school. But quarter-life crisis stories remind us that actually we are the masters of our own destiny. Am I fired? No. I just, I like you and I want to talk to you about the future and make sure it's what you want. Our identity is never set in stone, but something that's always evolving and responding to the world around us. And even when it feels like you don't have the options in front of you, you always have choices to make, choices which define you. So the quarter-life moment is not a crisis we have to be afraid of, but an opportunity for self-definition to be curious about and eventually embrace. I got a whole lot of stuff I gotta work out, but I don't wanna waste any more of my life without you in it. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified about all of our new videos.